Hello, hello, and welcome to my reinvented podcast, Taboo, where we talk about all the things people are afraid to talk about. If it makes you uncomfortable, I'm probably going to talk about it. Life's too short for ambiguity. So thanks for listening, and here we go. Hello, hello, beautiful soul. Today, I am diving deep into mental health in the U.S., With the onset of COVID and the height of the pandemic now behind us, the mental health in this country has only continued to deteriorate. And every time I travel internationally, it is apparent to me that while the U.S. may be a great country, we are definitely doing something wrong. I live in New York City, one of the most expensive cities to live in compared to the rest of the country. And that may be a big reason why there are so many mental health issues. But this is something that needs some serious reform or the continued shootings, public transportation assaults and stabbings are just going to continue to occur. I grew up in the 90s, the end of the century, and also right before the turn of the modernization of the world. Chances are, if you're in your late 20s or early 30s, you were raised similar to the way I was. Outside, playing basketball, playing soccer, riding your bike, going to the park, hanging out with friends in real life. I was fortunate enough to live right next to a park, so my mom would let my sister and I go to the park or play in the front yard, and we had to be back before it got completely dark outside. There was no computer. There was no Instagram. There was no TikTok. There was no social media. A hurricane would blow by, and we'd go splash in the puddles of the aftermath. My first boyfriend in high school had a group of friends that spent hours biking after school, roaming the streets of Kendall, learning new tricks, moving their bodies, and bonding over shared experiences. If you're under the age of 25 listening to this, you've probably never experienced a year without a cell phone. Could you imagine the freedom, the extra time you'd have to do other things? I remember the introduction of technology into our society. I felt and saw the direct impacts it had on not only me, but my fellow classmates, friends, and people. If you've ever watched children play on the playground, they make up all these rules, develop imaginary situations, and act them out in real life. They don't care what you're wearing. They don't care what you look like. They're just happy to have someone who wants to play their game with them. Children, unlike adults, are still very connected to the spiritual world. This is why they often can see people who have passed or talk to someone who died several years ago. They are perceptive of our auras, our energy fields. They're innocent. Untouched by the beliefs of society and the ideals people push onto them, they're still naive and believing in the kindness of others and the beauty of the world. And then, as they begin to grow, they begin to experience life. And unfortunately, not all of them have wonderful lives. Maybe they're born into a toxic home where their parents are always fighting and yelling. Maybe one of their parents suffers from addiction. Maybe they become emotionally or physically abused. Maybe they even become victims of sexual abuse. Maybe they're treated terribly by another sibling. Maybe they never even got to know their family. They end up in an orphanage involuntarily or placed into the foster care system. All of these traumas have been around for decades. But I truly believe the final catalyst for the decline in mental health that we are witnessing today has been technology. I'm going to take you guys way back when to that time when this website called MySpace came out. 
Although it was originally developed in 2003, its impact was felt when I got to high school in 2006. Of course, it was like nothing the world had ever seen before. I spent hours navigating around the World Wide Web, trying to figure out how to create programming codes to insert certain buttons, format them a certain way, and so did most of my classmates. You would passive-aggressively post a song that was directed towards another person without saying who it was meant for, but they knew it was for them. But MySpace had this terrible feature called Top Friends, where you could rank your best friends in order of importance and could choose varying numbers. You could have a top four, a top eight, a top 16, and so on. And while this sounds pretty minuscule and you're probably going, okay, what's your point? As a kid growing up, dealing with all the shit that already goes on in schools, navigating bullies, bad influences, social drama, and the drug scene, the last thing we needed was a top friends list. People took this shit personally and updated it constantly. One week, you could be the number two spot on your best friend's page, and two weeks later, they bumped you down to number four, and you would feel that shit in your core. Like, why did I get bumped down? What did so-and-so do to take my spot? It created so many issues related to self-esteem, self-worth, and trustworthiness of your own supposed best friends. So much so that MySpace ended up adding options to hide your top friends so that only you could see them. But that wasn't a hard enough stop. We humans have a hard time following rules when it's not convenient for us. So many people figured out ways around this and URL links to be able to still see people's hidden top friends, only to continually feel the excitement of being ranked higher or staying the same, or the disappointment of being ranked lower. Another excellent example of this was a website called Formspring. This was the stupidest website ever. You would make a profile and ask questions and people could anonymously answer them. So of course, since they didn't have to look you in the eye and say those things to your face or deal with the repercussions of their words, people would go on and say horrible things. The website ended up getting shut down in 2013 and then rebranding itself as Ask FM or something like that. But all the time that it was trending, people were definitely shedding tears and feeling super depressed about the terrible shit people would reply to them. It was so bad, it was linked to multiple teenage suicides across the country. Again, something that people before 1990 had never even thought would be possible that became a huge addiction for many young adolescents. For me, this was my first experience with cyberbullying or trolling or whatever you want to call it, and it continues to perpetuate throughout social media every day. Open any Facebook post or viral Instagram post and you are sure to find people inserting their unwanted negative opinions or saying something hurtful that they would likely never say to that person in real life. Why? Because it's a lot harder to look someone in the eyes and see the impact your words have on them as they start to appear sad or cry versus just typing it on a screen and pressing enter without truly having to think about the repercussions of your actions. And as the years have gone on, Internet time and cyberbullying have only gotten worse. I tell myself almost every single day that if I ever decide to have kids, they will not have technology in the house. And this is something that my partner and I have spoken about multiple times and agreed to. No matter how hard parenting gets, it is a commitment and a decision that I will choose to make. And as such, I will choose to be a good parent. Every time I get on the subway or go to a restaurant and I see a bunch of children staring at an iPad while their parents are consumed by their phones, I am consumed with sadness for the future generations. 
Children have forgotten or never been given the opportunity to learn how to be children. From before they can even speak, they've had technology thrust into their hands. Often, learning how to navigate an iPhone camera or YouTube better than their own parents or grandparents. And that is sad. Children are meant to be outside, communing with nature, exploring the wild, developing connections to the land and their people. Remember that old saying, it takes a village to raise a child? Well, when you look around, it seems like that saying has been replaced with, it takes an iPad to raise a child. And all of this is just a cycle, right? If you don't have time to be a good parent, then why did you have a child? Well, chances are you felt societal pressure to have a kid. All your friends around you were having kids. You thought it would fill some kind of void related to the lack of love you yourself received as a child. But having a child is a huge responsibility. You are shaping the future of tomorrow. It makes me so angry when I go on social media and see people who have kids out partying and clubbing weekend after weekend. Like, who is taking care of your child and why did you have one if you aren't willing to devote your time and energy to them? Children are the future of the world. They are the face of the future generations. All the love or lack of love they get growing up shapes them into the adults that they become. If you don't believe me, look around you. Truly think about the people in your life. Look at your mother. Look at your father. How are they treated as children? Look at your best friends. Look at their dominant personality traits and their shadow sides. How are they treated as children? It all starts when we are little. We need love and people who truly care about us to teach us about the world, about sacred reciprocity, about being the bigger person, about treating people with kindness. But the average child doesn't even get to sit down at a dinner table and tell their parents about their day anymore. How can we raise children to take care of the planet when we can't even take care of our own children? And now, after all of these issues have already been hovering over us for the past few decades, you throw COVID into the mix and it only got worse. Here in New York, kids went virtual. Parents now had to step up and play bigger roles in their children's lives. But what about the poor immigrant child whose parents don't speak English and never went to middle school? How on earth were they expected to help their poor child through a geometry class? In comparison to a child with a full-time nanny or a stay-at-home mom who had a master's degree and can easily help her child excel through classes, or if she can't, she has the financial resources to hire a tutor or do whatever it takes for her child to succeed. And this is how other factors like socioeconomic status come into play. In New York City, the pandemic merely highlighted the gap between the working class and the wealthy. The middle class no longer exists here. You're either working two jobs and living in a multi-family home in Queens or the Bronx, or you're wealthy with a cleaning lady and your child goes to a school that costs $50,000 a year. The amount of people who lost their jobs or their apartments and homes with COVID was insane. And as a result of this, the mental health plummeted. And it is still very obvious to me the long-term effects that this will continue to have on people. I see it every day as it manifests in healthcare. People come in and literally tell me, I have a tickle in my throat. I just want to make sure it isn't COVID. People come in for a sore throat and tell me it started two hours ago as they read me a symptom log they typed up on their iPhone notes tab. 
People don't even try Tylenol or Advil or anything for their problems before they come in for a medical consultation. The paranoia and the ability to think logically has completely escaped people. Again, this goes back to my previous podcast episode about why working in healthcare now sucks so much. Meanwhile, I hop on a plane and go to Florida where I was raised and nobody even blinks an eye about COVID. People down there are living their lives, enjoying the sunshine. Their children are in school, learning. How did this happen? How did we get here? When is it over? Kids have missed out on so much school-wise these past few years. Imagine being a middle schooler, high schooler. Imagine not having a graduation or a prom or an awards ceremony or after-school sports if they're an athlete or music classes. These are instrumental activities for children that allow them to continue developing their character, learning discipline, and molding them into better humans for society. Chances are, if you've been watching the news, you've seen the deterioration of New York City the same way that I get to witness aspects of it every day. The subway stories are true. Almost every platform I wait on, there's a homeless person with their pants falling off, talking to themselves, asking people for money. I've sat on a bus and had somebody jacking off next to me. There are schizophrenic people on the trains hallucinating that you're God knows who. The tension on most of the trains at rush hour is palpable. Everyone wearing a mask, people avoiding eye contact, People are even afraid to step close to the platforms now after multiple incidents have occurred where people have been shoved onto the train tracks. I used to be one of those people who stood on the edge of the platform to wait for the train. Now, I lean against a pillar or a wall so I can see what's going on around me at all times. But why is this our new reality? Why is the mental health crisis so bad? Again, it's probably multifactorial. I remember I was trying to find a therapist here in the city in January 2021. And first of all, everything is virtual now. Two, almost every therapist doesn't take your insurance conveniently. The average price for therapy here in New York City is anywhere from $250 to $400 for a 45-minute session. No wonder everyone's freaking crazy. Who the hell has $400 to talk to someone for 45 minutes every week? And no, I am not exaggerating. Google therapy in NYC and see what the results show you. Number three, even if they do take insurance or you do somehow have $400 a week to see them, they don't have a lot of availability because they're short-staffed just like the rest of the world. Again, a perfect example of socioeconomic status playing into mental health. If you don't have the money to afford therapy, if you don't have the resources to go to therapy, you just learn to live with your problems and traumas, which leads to suppression of feelings and psychosomatic symptoms. And eventually, one day, you just can't take it anymore and you will likely have a mental breakdown. Classic example of a downward spiral. If you're interested in a more concrete example of this, I highly recommend the movie Joker that came out in 2019 with Joaquin Phoenix, which chronicles the evolution of how he became the famous Joker. He creates an incredible portrayal in the development of his character and really shows how the system sets people up for failure with their mental health. But back to my argument for technology as one of the biggest contributors to the decline in mental health, let's talk about communication skills. As you can see from my podcast, my throat chakra is wide open. I am not afraid to sit and have difficult conversations. I am not at all bothered by letting someone share an opinion or perspective with me that is completely different from my own. 
But nowadays, we've created this cancel culture and this mentality that if someone speaks their opinion and their opinion is not the same as everyone else's, they're canceled. What kind of culture is this? Why can't we sit down like two civilized people and share our opinions and hear each other out? Even if I don't agree with what you're saying, I will listen to you. I will hear you out. I will respect you. I will say thank you for sharing that with me and we can politely agree to disagree. I've seen more grown-ass adults unfriending friends and family on Facebook over political discussions and stupid arguments and they legitimately will never talk to this person again. They put an X on them forever. Like, how old are we? How childish is that? This highlights the importance of sitting down and having real conversations with people face-to-face. Mature conversations. No one should be screaming or yelling. No one should be raising their voice. No one should be personally attacking the other person. We've lost this art form. Communication is an art. I remember my mom grilling my ass all throughout my childhood telling me, Griti, it's not what you say, it's how you say it. And boy, oh boy, was she right. There's another saying that repeats this idea. You get more bees with honey than with vinegar. Same message. Speak kindly to other people. Make eye contact. Lower your voice. Drop your arms. In my years working in medicine, I've seen this take place. Just from walking into the room and introducing myself, I already know so much about this patient. Are they making eye contact with me? How are they sitting? Are their arms crossed over their chest? Are their eyebrows furrowed? Are they tapping their feet? Are their legs restless? Are they on their phone? Did they hang up the phone when I walk in? How are they breathing? Shallow, short breaths or nice, long, relaxed, deep breaths? All of this has now been assessed and perceived for me in less than 30 seconds with a patient. And they don't even have to say a word. It's my own silent physical exam of the patient. Unfortunately, with the rise of technology, we have created a generation of people who pride themselves on productivity. How many emails did I read or send? How many people did I talk to today? How many things did I cross off my to-do list? How many people liked me on my dating profile? How many calories did I burn in my workout class? How many likes did I get on Instagram? I used to be this way too. And now, my favorite days are the ones where I set aside nothing to do. Yep, you heard that right. Nothing. No to-do list. No alarm. I wake up whenever I'm ready or whenever Kona wakes me up. We go for a walk. I come home. I enjoy my bed, my apartment, cooking, reading a book, meditating, doing yoga, showering, whatever my body is asking me for. Sometimes I put my phone in do not disturb mode. God bless Apple for creating that feature. And I'll leave my phone on the other side of the apartment all day. And it feels so good to be disconnected. We've become addicted to our technology. Of course, we all have anxiety and depression. We're a culture that thrives on public approval. You post something on Instagram, you wonder how many likes you got. You're disappointed if it wasn't how many you expected. You're disappointed if it wasn't as many as the last post. You receive a surge of dopamine every time you get notified someone liked or commented on your photo. It's terrible for our mental health. Turn off your social media notifications. Set a timer for your social media apps so your daily screen time is limited to less than 30 minutes a day. It is a game changer. Click on your settings and see what your screen time is. 
Do you spend more than an hour a day on your phone? Why? What are you doing? Are you learning? Is it helping you grow? Is it challenging your beliefs? One thing is to take a 15-minute break to laugh and see happy things, but to get on social media and start to compare your life to others or become disappointed by what you're seeing, why do we keep doing this to ourselves? Turn off the like count on your photos. Post it because it genuinely makes you happy, because you like it, not because you want others to like it. Who cares what Carlos from freshman year of high school thinks about you now? You haven't talked to that dude in like 15 years. Who cares? Not you. Our phones are designed to keep us plugged in. Corporations want us to spend as much time as we can on our phones. Why? Because that's how they make money. And in turn, they keep us playing small. Imagine if instead of being on social media, you practice learning another language for 15 minutes a day. You meditated for 15 minutes a day. And that's probably only a quarter of the amount of time you spend on Instagram every day. Or TikTok. I remember when I checked, I was spending almost two hours on Instagram. Two hours. And then I was saying things like, I don't have to go to the gym today. I don't have time to meditate today. I don't have time for yoga. Who was I kidding? Two hours is enough time for me to do everything I need and then some. When we stop making excuses and start making small changes, they will gradually change our lives and significantly improve our mental health. And all of these changes are related to setting boundaries for yourself. This was hard for me at first because if your family is like mine, they don't believe in boundaries. My dad tells me all the time, boundaries don't exist, I'm your father. But if I finished a 12-hour shift and someone called me, I felt guilty about not answering their phone call because I felt obligated to. Now, I set boundaries for myself and say, you know what? I am not energetically prepared to take this call. I will call them tomorrow. And guess what? Not once has anyone ever been upset at me for doing that. I have discovered and am still discovering the importance of presence, of being 100% present when someone is talking to me. And I would much rather call them tomorrow when I am physically present instead of thinking about how exhausted I am. Presence is not having your phone in your hand when you're at dinner with somebody. Presence is being okay with putting your phone on do not disturb mode after you get home from work and taking time to be with your loved ones and yourself and just decompress. Another life hack I made was turning off the media. The media in this country appears to be paid off by someone much larger than us who only wants us to see the bad in the world. But guess what? Our thoughts are our reality. If every day all I see is the shootings and the stabbings happening in this country, then I'm missing out on the man who escorted an elderly woman across the street. The care of people who saved a giant litter of kittens. The children at a high school who saved up all of their allowance to buy the janitor a car. And so I challenge you, wherever you are, wherever you live, delete your media apps for just one week. New York Times, Fox News, The Skim, whatever apps you use to read your news, to watch your news videos. If you watch TV, skip out on NBC, CBS, Fox, or whatever you watch for one week. If you're going to watch something, make it a comedy or something positive. If you don't watch anything, even better. Take a walk by yourself. Bring your dog. Grab a loved one. Leave the phone at home. Ditch the headphones. 
Start to notice what you see. Smile at someone walking or jogging by you and watch their reaction. Cheer someone on as they zoom past you cycling. Look at the sky, the clouds, the trees. Feel the sun on your skin. Appreciate the wind. Listen to the birds and the sounds around you. Create the most beautiful reality for yourself. Disconnect from the negativity of the world and reconnect to the magic that lies within it. One of my favorite quotes that shows the impact this can have on us is about a mosquito. Of course, presented by the Dalai Lama, he says, If you think you are too small to make a difference, try sleeping with a mosquito. And if this has ever happened to you, you know how difficult it is because you continue to feel that little sting every time they get you and it will literally keep you up all night. So if a mosquito, something so small and minuscule, can make such a difference on you and your night of sleep, imagine the difference that you can make when you start to be kind and positive with others. Even the most seemingly insignificant beings can make quite a difference to someone. Everyone you come into contact with gives you an opportunity to make a difference. And I give this advice because I know it works. Because I have tried it when I have been depressed and anxious and overwhelmed with the world. I have seen the impact it can have on me. The drastic difference it made in my life. And I know the drastic difference it can make in your life. I have prescribed it to patients and those who follow up with me have told me how much better they feel after just one week. So that, my friends, is your homework for this week, and I encourage you to try it. Try spending more time surrounded by nature and people you love, and just be. No technology. Don't worry about filming things. Don't worry about taking pictures. Don't worry about posting things. Take a mental picture. Presence is a gift and a practice, and it is so underrated. When you get home from work, put your phone on silent if you can, or do not disturb mode. Turn off your Apple Watch. Better yet, leave them both on the opposite side of the house. Change your reality into one of positivity and optimism and watch the dominoes fall into place for you. Mental health starts with each one of us. The way we go out into the world every morning when we leave our homes. The way we show up for others. The way we talk to those we come into contact with. Never underestimate the power of a smile and a simple good morning, especially with the elderly, many of whom are alone and missing loved ones and just seeking the company of others. Taking care of your mental health is paying it forward for others. It creates a domino effect in the world, like the pay it forward movement. You buy someone their cup of coffee and make their day and those seemingly small acts of kindness create a beautiful ripple effect into the world. Be the change you want to see in the world. Seek help if you need it. Don't be afraid to reach out to others around you for support. No matter how busy people seem, they can always make time if need be. If you try any of these suggestions, feel free to let me know how they work for you. If you're still listening, thank you. Stay tuned for some raw, honest, real conversations and thank you for joining me on this journey. Stay tuned for the next episode and please like, rate, and share this podcast if you enjoyed it. If you have questions, comments, feedback, please feel free to DM me on Instagram at Chrisalek. Have a wonderful day or night wherever you may be.
Sending you so much love, Kristen.